1 Thessalonians. Oh, I knew that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. No. Here it is. First, there you go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 through 12. Okay. I've got a few notes from last week and this week, so I'll get them a little mixed up. I don't want to do that. How are you doing today? You guys ready to celebrate our, I guess it's called the Independence Day? Yeah. July 4th, 1776. Uh, the Declaration of Independence was ratified. It took, uh, if you know anything about the Declaration of Independence, it took months, excuse me, years to actually liberate the United States from Britain. And uh, we became a nation, a sovereign nation, meaning that we are, um, no, there's nobody over us as was before. And uh, in, in the whole process of it all, there were a lot of people that, that, that had died, of course, Britain didn't want to let go uh, of the United States, and so they sent their troops, and they fought, and we fought, and finally we, the United States won, and they gave up a lot. A lot of the people that were leading uh, lost a lot of their property, a lot of their lives. They gave up a lot, but they, they were confident that this is what God had given them to do. And um, I'm not here to give you a, a history lesson, but I do want to take a little piece out of the preamble uh, to the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, it states the principles on which our government um, and our identity as Americans are based on. But there's a portion there that I just want to focus on, and it says this, and you've heard this before, and I just want to kind of jump off of that. And it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it seems that the life and the liberty part, we seem to have gotten that pretty good. And it's the pursuit of happiness that has gotten many people, especially in the United States, into a lot of trouble. The pursuit of happiness has led many to follow their heart's desire. Because happiness is described, or I guess it determines on who the person is. One thing can make one person happy, and another thing is, can make somebody else happy. The government or no church can tell you how you can be happy. And so from the, its foundation, the pursuit of happiness has been the goal of most people. And even within the church, within the church, we have brought this in. We want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. Isn't that part of our constitutional right? Isn't that part of our theological doctrinal right that God wants me to be happy. And this has produced a group of Christians and that makes, they, they want to go and go to be happy. And they say, you know, because I want to be happy, then I have my own free will to choose whatever I want to choose. As a matter of fact, according to the Constitution, if you want to be a Christian, you can. If you don't want to be a Christian, you don't have to. It was, it was written in such a way that, that you can do however it is that you do, as long as you don't disturb anybody's life, as long as you don't disturb anybody's liberty, you can pursue happiness all you want because everyone has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the problem is, is that with happiness, it's never enough. And with happiness, you desire more, you want more, you cannot, ha you cannot fill that void. And the, far, the, the, the problem with that is that with, uh, with Christians is that with us, 
that we want to fill our heart and be happy. And uh, we really have this idea that God wants us to be happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. What he desires is for you to be holy. Holiness, not happiness. Now, I'm going to walk you through a few things on holiness. Uh, as we talk, what, what Paul is praying here to his the church, very young church. And he's praying for them. And he's praying this prayer for them, saying, this is my desire. That you grow in this holiness. He doesn't necessarily say that, but you'll, you'll take that out of there as we look at this. He wants them to grow in holiness, separate from the world. To be holy as God is holy. And this holiness is, is not based upon what my heart's desire. And many people will tell you, and they'll pro- they'll, you've probably even said it yourself, my heart wants what it wants. I want to fulfill my heart's desire. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand? The heart of human, God understands God's, uh, man's human heart. God understands that man's heart is wicked and depraved and just wants what it wants. God, man's heart is never bent toward God until God himself reaches down and pulls you out of that miry muck and brings you to a place where you come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. See, Paul starts off this prayer in verse 11. I'm going to read that, then we're going to go into a word of prayer. Chapter 3, verse 11. And he says this. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father in heaven, thank you once again. We pray, Lord, for an illumination of your word, that you just bring the light what's already there. We don't need no new revelation because the revelation has been there all this time. But we are now, as Bereans, looking at your word and going through it and picking out the, everything, not just the pieces we like, but everything you say and applying it to our life. Father, give me uh, steadfastness, stability, and help me to be as, as honest and as ethical to your word as your word deserves. Lord, we thank you for all that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Paul starts off his prayer by saying, now, may our, as a matter of fact, this is kind of a long prayer, but here you can almost hear Paul's heart when he says, now. He says, okay, these are the things that I've been telling you. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, he says, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, Paul didn't want to go and help them to grow more and more in what they already knew. He didn't want them to go and and grow into how it is that they are praising God, how they're being happy and clappy, and he's not bringing them anything new. 
anything different. Um, excuse me. He's not bringing. He's he wants to bring them something new, not to add to what they already know. He wants their faith to increase. And that's why he says, now may the God of our father and father himself, basically saying God and father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, both persons of the Trinity, direct our way to you. He wants to be there. He says, I want to see you grow in this faith. Number one, Paul is praying for perfecting faith. Paul is praying for perfecting faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And this is Paul's most powerful prayer, that one of the prayers that, that he's grown for. He says, I want your faith to grow. Not that you don't have faith already, faith that has given you salvation. But what I desire is that you grow in such a way that, that you know more and more about who Jesus Christ is, what he's done and, and how that applies to your life. And that it, it make you perfect and, and grow in that, in that way. He wants, he wants direction there. He wants the path to be opened up. He wants the, the, the road to be unpaved without any obstacles, as we said before. I want this direction, this direct path to get to you so that I don't stumble and fall or get out of the way or remember Satan was hindering him from trying to get to the place where he needed to be. And Paul is basically saying what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter is constantly talking about growing up, grow up. Hey guys, don't do it like I did. Peter learned it the hard way. He had to grow up the hard way. Remember, he's the one that denied Jesus Christ three times. He's the one that was a loudmouth. He's the one that was was basically a liar, saying things that weren't necessarily true, stretching the truth in such a way. And in, in both epistles, he's encouraging the church, grow, grow. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how he ends the last letter that he wrote. And, and as he continues to encourage us throughout the centuries, he is saying, this is how we should be like, like infants, like newborn infants. You see, when a baby is born, they, they long, they desire. It's an instinct. It should be for a newborn Christian, an instinct. That should be in you already to want to get the milk, which is spiritual milk, which is God's word. That should already be something inside of you. In Acts chapter 20, he says, uh, Luke says that Paul said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is saying that I, I know that God, when I commend you to God, his grace, his word is going to build you up. It's God's word that builds you up. And we cannot get built up unless we start getting into his word. Now, how do you know that you're growing in your faith? How do you know that you've gotten there? How do you know that, well, you know, how, when am I going to grow up? Pastor's always telling me to grow up, grow up. How, how do I grow up? You know, do I have to wear a suit and tie? <laughs> yes, you do know. <clears throat> well, there's, there's some indicators, and I've, I've shared those with you already. And I just want to help you remember them. Remember, one of the biggest indicators is your desire for the milk. The fact that you want to know more. The fact that you keep asking that question, how do I grow up? That is a, a, a 
sign, an indicator that you are growing. Because see, a person that says, I've had enough, I'm done. They stop growing. They don't grow anymore. And the knowledge of God's word, it starts to increase in your life. You're, you're taking it in and it's making sense. And you're able to, to see things a little bit different. And those things, sometimes you don't become a theologian overnight. Well, most people don't. But if you look back, and this is why it's important to at least keep down, keep down a spiritual journal. If you've gone through the classes that we've been through, I encourage you while you're waiting for the next class to go through those lessons again and see how you answer this time and see the things, especially in the application part. The things you said you were going to apply, this is how I'm going to apply this to my life. Have you done that? And you're going to go back and you say, yeah, I did this. Oh, yeah, I remember doing this. No, this is one area that I haven't done yet. There's where you start to grow. And we're afraid to go back because we're afraid to check. We don't want to be caught short. But the indication is that you want to grow. Your confidence in God has grown bigger. You have more confidence in what God is doing in your life and uh, around uh, in the church and everywhere else. There's trust in his sovereignty. Okay, God, you know what? You are totally in control. You are sovereign. You are the ruler. I'm just stepping back and I'm just going to let you do what it is that you're going to do. There's nothing else that we can do about that. My wife and I were talking about that just the other day. Says, how do we understand? How do we know that? And you know, a lot of times, we were hearing this testimony of this documentary that's being put out called "The Essential Church," um, and uh, it, it, I'll explain it to you some other time. But basically, the producer, or the director, was saying we needed to get this interview done, and we couldn't get it done. We had no location, we had no person. That night, somebody calls, sets it up, not only with the person, but the beautiful location in Scotland. They were already in Scotland. And so his thinking was, you know, uh, whenever something doesn't work out, I know it's because God has something better for us to accomplish. And which it was. It was an amazing story on how the gospel message is being proclaimed and was proclaimed through COVID that those things that we, we haven't heard of. And I encourage you to see this documentary called The Essential Church. It, it's, it hasn't come out yet, but it will. But anyways, all I'm saying is that sometimes as you're going through things, it's not until hindsight, until after you've gone through it, that you realize, oh, now that's why that happened. Now that's why I, I, I was late, or that's why I didn't take that turn, or that's why I, I just stopped. I didn't want to go. Many times you don't even realize the things that God is stopping you from or is, is about to happen or not happen. Because of your confidence in his sovereignty. You know, you trust his sovereignty. You just trust, you know, God, you are totally in control. I just got to trust. I'm not going to, I'm going to stop banging these doors. I'm going to stop running as hard as I can. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing because I have to trust in you. And, and, and your obedience starts to grow as well. You start doing what the word says. See, these are indicators that your faith is growing. You're building your faith and reading the word and say, okay, well, it says to do this. And I, I, I've never done that. Well, great. I'm glad you haven't. Now it's time for you to step out in faith and watch it happen. You start finding joy in your trials. Now, this is, this is a tricky one, okay? You know, finding joy in my trials. In James chapter 1, <coughs> James is 
James is writing to a church that is constantly in trials. It's being persecuted. It's being torn apart. People are being yanked out of their homes, their possessions taken. And in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And these guys were going through some trials. And for James to say, count it all joy. When you start going through stuff, and you realize, okay, you know, God's doing something. Your faith is growing. Okay, you may not like it, and you may not understand it, but you know what? It, it brings you joy because God is in control. I mean, many other factors that we've talked about, but the first indicator basically is you want to grow. How do I know that I'm growing? Because I want to grow. That's how you know you're growing. You know where the milk is. The milk is in his word. Let me get to a place where the milk is being fed and, and laid out and so I can grow from it. Number two, pray for prospering love. Pray for a prospering love. Paul says, I said, as I said earlier, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for who? For one another. For one another. And for all as well. As we do for you. Paul says, I want your love to abound. I want it to grow. I want it to just just blossom. I planted some tomatoes. I think I did. I made a big mistake. I planted a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> I got. I got tomatoes. I'm gonna be bringing tomatoes. Okay. I'm gonna be canning tomatoes. I'm gonna be freezing tomatoes. I, I don't know what I was doing. I said, "Let's see what happens." Put a bunch of seeds out. Boom. <laughs> okay. And so I'm having a hard time with these tomatoes. You're gonna get tomatoes whether you like it or not. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in in your. Paul is praying for that kind of love in your life. I'm praying for that kind of love in your life. I'm praying that it abounds more and not just love for the world or love for animals or love for whatever the case may be, but love for the one and others. You know, there are 30 instances in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it talks about the one and others, the one and others, and the one and others are use these one and others, those within the church. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, uh, you know, help one another, uh, establish yourself with one another. All, over and over again, these one another's, Jesus had said them, Paul had said them, and Peter has, has a few. And, and, but the one that stands out the most is the love to, to love one another. As a matter of fact, John said that Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And these one another's are key. This is how you are building your relationship with God by building it with other people. You build a relationship with God by building your relationship with God's people. And a desire for you to not only be here to listen to the word, but a desire to build that relationship with one another is an indicator that your faith is growing. It, it behooves me, beloved. I, I don't understand how some people can say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
Yeah, and how long have you been going? Oh, I've been going to that church for a lot of years. What's the name of your pastor? I don't know. <laughs> how long have you been going to that church? I don't know, five, six years. So, so who are your friends? I don't have any friends there. <laughs> you don't have any friends at that church. Okay, what, what are you going to? You know, when you belong to a family, you know who the, the head of the family is. You, you know who those are, your brothers and sisters. This is a family. Yeah, I was surprised one time when somebody came to our church. Oh, yeah, I go to this huge church over there. And I go, really? So who's the pastor? And they told me who the pastor was. I, you know, I, you know that, 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 that guy, he retired like three years ago. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I don't know who it is now. And, and it, it just it baffles me for people to not know the, one another, especially within a church. And so we intentionally have these gatherings right after church to get to know one another, to celebrate with one another, to, to pray with one another, to cry with one another, to encourage one another, to help one another if we can. And to give tomatoes to one another whenever we can. So, so Paul is saying you need to love one another, always you know, encouraging them to do so. And he says, and my prayer is that it grows. And this is just not this, you know, brotherly love. This is not, not this uh, Adolfo love. It, this is not this uh, type of, you know, friendly love. It's agape love, exactly. It's a love that is bigger than anything that you can ever wish or, or even desire or even want. This is that, that kind of love. Number three, pray for a purifying love. He says, I'm, I'm sorry, he prays for a purifying hope. He prays for a purifying hope. You know, let me just step back here for just a little bit because I kind of skipped on this one too. He says uh, he, uh, he wants you to abound in love for one another. And then he also includes and for all. Okay, this is not a selfish type of love. Okay, but, but he, he focuses on the one another's. But we do need to increase our love for those that are around us as well. Okay, uh, we want to increase it so that we can bring them in and love them as family. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't love your family. Yes, you have to love your family. You encourage them and you build them up and you pray for them. It helps you to pray for them even more. So let me just get that point out. Number, number three, pray for a purifying love. Paul says in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. There's a lot here that we have to unpack. And I'm just going to do the first part. And the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not the second coming as much as it is the rapture of the church. And we're going to be talking about that here in chapter 4, here in a few weeks. But he is talking about establishing our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father so that our hearts can be blameless and holy. This is Paul's part of his prayer that he says, I want this to happen, that you look to your glorification, which produces a purifying hope, a hope that is anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. That, that you know that he's going to be coming. In Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith 
into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Remember, hope is not a wish. Hope is not something that, you know, I mean, I kind of kind of like for it to happen. No, hope is an expectation. We are expecting the return of Jesus Christ. We are expecting for uh, his church to be lifted up. We are expecting for each one of us to be glorified. We are expecting to see the glorification of God and Jesus Christ all at once. This expectation, this is going to happen. I'm not hoping, I'm not wishing. I, I mean, you know, I, let me see if it, if it does happen. No. Every time we're talking about this hope, we're talking about something that we know is going to happen. The nature of that hope is, be, is best stated in what John said in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And we will be, and what we will be has not yet appeared. When John is talking to the church, the church is going through persecution as well. And he tells them, you know, we, we're God's children. Don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry how it's going, what's taking place. I know you're, you're going through a lot, but what we will be has not yet appeared. We haven't seen that hope yet, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. And so our hearts have got to be established without blame in holiness so that we can literally see him. And, you know, one of the biggest fears that I have in, in, in the church and in the world itself is that many people aren't even looking or anticipating or even thinking about the second coming. You know, I mean, what's going to happen if he shows up right now? My heart ain't ready. You know, I want to get my heart ready. I, I want it to be blameless, but I know it's not. You know, I want to fix it, but, you know, I've got these things that I want to take care of. For I'm having too much fun. You know, can he wait until I turn 65 or 70? Can he wait until, you know, because I'm not ready. I had this one young man tell me one time, he said, I'm going to give my life to Christ after I turn 21. I says, why after you turn 21? Because after I turn 21, I want to go out and do whatever I want to do. Party, man! And have a great time. And then after that, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm ready to go. Well, you, what, if, what if the Lord calls you home before then? You know, there is this attitude or this thought, you know, that, that you can do whatever you want before God, and then come up to him and say, okay, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me of all my sin, which is true. But if what you're doing is do, you're doing to to uh, well to do whatever you want and use God as a scapegoat, it's, it's not it's not, it's not what it's all about. A genuine believer, a genuine believer, does not want to offend a holy God. And you see that hearts that need to be expressed and ex established the per, for the per, parousia, which is the the coming of the Lord. The, 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 the time, the event when he returns, not only in his second coming, to, to purify us, to make us like him, we are to be preparing our heart for that. And we need to get ready for the time that he will be here. John, 1 John 3, 3 says that, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so... With Thessalonians, Paul is saying, you know, you know, I want you to be there. I want, I want to, I, I'm praying that God just 
opens up the door and to your heart and, and you start to just let God just work in your life. And, and understand, I understand the persecution that you're going through. I was there. You, you saw that happen to me. You know, and, and I'm glad that you guys are doing good and sharing the gospel message. But you have to be ready. And I'm praying that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. When Jesus Christ returns to pick up all his saints. Now, on the back of your outline, there's a, there's a call, there's a command to be holy as God is holy. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, once again, he establishes and to be with all the saints, Paul's desires that those Thessalonians be holy, not happy. You know, happiness, and, and here's the interesting thing. Most people are pursuing happiness and once they achieve that happiness, then they can go and find that holiness. Once I'm happy, once I'm content, once I've got everything out of the way, you, you know, I'll, I'll deal with my holiness later. See, but first I've got to do whatever I can to get ahead and get all that I can get. And, and the, the funny thing is, is that pursuing happiness will never get you holiness. However, pursuing holiness always equals happiness. It's just a byproduct. It's not that I don't want you to be happy, beloved. I do. But I want you to be happy in the right circumstances and in the right things and in the right way. The way God is, is showing us, the way the Bible is teaching us, the way Paul is teaching the Thessalonians is how I want to teach you. And happiness is, is a byproduct. Not only just happiness, but blessedness, joyfulness, peacefulness, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you pursue holiness, happiness just falls right out of it. You are content. Thank you, Lord. With, because you are pursuing God to cleanse your heart. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 1.13. <coughs> I have to give you the first part because I think I cut it out in your outline. But the first part goes, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. And here's your part. Set your hope. Remember your hope, your expectation fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who has called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy some of you are thinking that is a high order how am i going to do that god says i got to be like god that now that that's going to be something that i cannot accomplish i i, I could never Teach you how to be like God, first of all. And you got to understand that with God, God is holy. However, Peter, well, Peter what Peter is uh, uh, reciting is Leviticus chapter 11, 44. Look at, look at 11, 44. For I, the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. And then he says, consecrate yourselves. In other words, get yourself ready. Prepare yourself. There was a ritual that they had to go through, a washing, a ceremony, a prayer, and a certain things that they would have to do before God would show up in their presence. 
in the tent of meeting. And he would come down in a cloud and everybody would have to stand back, bow their heads and be careful. And only one person can go in there. And Moses was the one that was chosen. And he was the only one that can enter into the Holy of Holies and have this communion with God. And he said to them, you know, consecrate yourselves, be ready for therefore, he says, be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Now you're thinking, what does that mean? What God was giving out, he gave them the Ten Commandments and he gave them all, all these other dietary laws and he gave them all these other restrictions as far as marriage and, and how, uh, who you marry and wh- you know, how, many, how many times you get married and children and all these various things that were needed to be done within the nation of Israel. You see, what God did is he took out Abraham, one person, and Sarah. And then out of Sarah and Abraham came Isaac and also uh, Ishmael. But out of Isaac, God brought out two, two more sons. And out of those two, one, more, uh, one of those sons had 12. And out of those 12, they had bunches more, 750. And then out of those 750, I mean, it just, it just grew, overpopulated the earth. Out of one person, God says, you are my chosen people. And this is how everyone will know that you are my people. You follow this word. How do people know you're a Christian? Because you follow God's word. Why do people attack churches that are following God's word? Because they're not like everybody else. These these, um, laws and commandments and these traditions that God has given us, they're for our own good, for our protection. He protects us. He says, you follow these, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. From the very beginning, that was his goal. That is his purpose, to create for himself a holy nation. A holy nation. Well, first of all, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? In, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. What does it mean that God is holy? It says, there is none holy like you. For there is none beside you. There is none beside you. Like there is no rock like our God. In other words, God is holy. There's no one else like him. Nothing compares to him. When you try to find a comparison, everything fails. God is unique. He's holy. And we're starting to realize something here is that because there is no one else like God, God is the only one. And what he's done, he says, I'm going to build for me a people that are just like me. And so he wants a people that are holy or just like him or like nobody else. Look what he says in Hosea 11.9. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am a God and not a man, the holy one in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. He is a holy one, one separated, not like everybody else. He doesn't get mad like everybody else. His holiness is the essence of otherness. He's not like everyone else, but he's something other. His very being is complete, absent 
of any trace of sin. He is high above any other God or any other thing, and no one can compare to him. God's holiness pervades his entire being and shapes all his attributes. His love is holy. His mercy is holy mercy. Even his anger is holy anger. His wrath is holy wrath. His wrath and his anger is not like ours. Where we just blow up at everybody and anything. And, and, and these, are, these are concepts that are difficult to understand and grasp because it's, it's just as different for God. So, so but, but God is holy. He's other. He's separate. He's different. He's not like everybody else. So what does it mean for me to be holy? Because God is pure. Amen? God is not only pure, but he's perfect. And that's one of the first things that we gravitate to when we start thinking about holiness. When God says, I can't be perfect, I can't be pure, I can't go up into the mountains and just stand on top of a rock and then come back down and just like that. Maybe Jesus could, but I can't. So what does he mean when he says for us to be holy? Well, he says, well, we got to understand that holiness. See, in, in Leviticus 10.10, and here's the part I wanted to get to. In Leviticus 10.10, in your outlines, he says this, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. Once again, as God is instructing Israel, he's instructing Moses, here's how everyone else is going to know that you are my people because you're going to follow this dietary law. Well, everybody's eating whatever they want, whatever's swarming on the ground, whatever's flying in the air. You're only supposed to eat this type of food. Oh, and you'll have plenty. Just follow what I'm saying. You know, and, and the problem is, is that man wanted to eat what he wanted to eat. Remember, there was a tree that had this fruit and it looked pleasing. I says, you know, why can't I have that one? And God says, no, because you are my chosen people. This is your rule. God could have gave us anything. As a matter of fact, he could have given us nothing. He says, you only get to eat one tree. How's that? You only get to eat one fruit for the rest of your life. That's all you get to eat. He could have because he's God. But what he did, he says, I set a boundary and I want you to be in this boundary. I'm giving you these boundaries for your protection. I want you to know this. And so as he started to go over all these laws and commandments and he gave the Levites the, the law, he says to them, you are to distinguish between the holy and the What's that? The common. Is it up there? You are to distinguish between the holy and the... Okay, you see, that was, I was, that's the word I was going to ask. What is the opposite of holy? I mean, naturally you would think unholy, right? Holy, unholy. The opposite of holy is common. Between the unclean and the clean. Look at this next verse in Ezekiel 44, 23. God is telling Ezekiel, he says, They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. Once again, you need to know the difference between the holy and the common. So if common is the opposite of holy, then that means that everything I do that is like everybody else is common, is unholy. 
If I do and act, live my life the way everybody else is living and then come to church and try to be holy, it's incongruent. You see, holiness is being set apart. Holiness is being different. Holiness is living within these bounds that God has given us. Holiness is the, this, these parameters. And the world has been breaking through these parameters as much as it could until it's infiltrated the church. And the church now is just common. There are a lot of churches now that all they want you to be is happy and clappy and then abound in all kinds of euphoria and all kinds of things that are going on in there and, and very little teaching as to what God desires for us to do. It, it, and and the, the commands and the desires of God's heart are for us to follow them. Many of those have been looked at in our culture as, well, those are negative. Those are downers. God doesn't want you to have any fun. You know, you just taking away all your fun. Well, you know, what you consider fun is unholy. It's common. You know how when you say, you know, you should have common sense? I say, no, no, you need to have biblical sense, not common sense. Because when you're working on common sense, you're basically working on unholy sense. You know, when the people say, come on, everybody's doing it. Yeah, that's why I'm not going to do it. That's why I'm not going to go. That's why I don't want to be a part of that. That's why I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to, you know, those types of things, that kind of thought and instruction, I'm not letting into the church. Come on, every church is singing these songs. Every church is practicing these practices. Every church is, you know, calling these preachers to come in and do these magical things. Oh, excuse me, not magical. Signs and wonders. And you should see the things that they're able to do. How gold dust just comes out of the ceiling. How God just smokes into the, the room. And it's, it's just amazing. There are no smoke machines, really. I Believe me, there isn't. And it's amazing on how people are just going for the show. And it's all common. But you know what? That's where, the, that's where everybody's at this day. You know? That's where they're at. Because it's common. Hey, all my friends are doing it. All the people at my work are doing it. You know, I, the people that I play baseball with, they're doing it. People, my fishing buddies... You know, we like to go to the 8 o'clock service. As a matter of fact, when we go to the 8 o'clock service, we hitch our boats in the back of the, the truck so that we get our church, get it done and gone, man. And we're out to the lake. Boom, boom. Got my Jesus. I'm out of here. And yeah, we're getting out by 9 o'clock, but we're good. I got my Jesus on. And the 8 o'clock service is usually the, the, the fullest one. And, you know, I, I'm just saying that when you think about holiness, God is calling you to be holy. Now, there are a lot of big churches that do honor God's holiness and recognize that they are separate, they're different. Uh, and I can point you to a lot of them. And I've seen what God has done in their midst. But when you decide to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you've painted a target on your back. You said, these are my parameters. And this is what I'm going to do. And if this is what it says I need to do, then I need to do it. And if this says I can't do that, then I won't do it. That's it. Because we need to teach the people between the holy 
and the common. And holiness, yes, it's pure. It's, uh, it's perfect. It is, it, that's, that is God. But holiness for you and I is intended to mean set apart. Set apart. How can I be holy? Well, I'm glad that you're asked that question. Well, and we're coming to the end of it. And, and basically, Paul's already, I've already shared this with you. As a matter of fact, if you turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, verse 4, it says this. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your, for your sake. You see, how, how do I know? How do I become holy? How do I even start there? Well, first of all, you've got to be chosen. God's got to give it to you. That's where it starts at. Either you're holy or you're not. Either you're set apart or you're not. Either you're a goat or a sheep. Either you're wheat or tares. Either you're good fish or bad fish. Either you're good fruit or bad fruit. Jesus even said, you can't get good fruit out of a bad tree. Or you can't, with a bad tree, get good fruit. You know, I mean, you'll know them by their fruits. By what they say, by what they do. You, you know, sheep are to my left. Excuse me, goats are to my left, sheep are to the right. And a sheep cannot become a goat, and a goat cannot become a sheep. A goat is a goat, sheep is a sheep. God will choose those who are His. And how do you know? Well, because you're here. Well, not just here, this church, but you're willing to learn. You're diving into God's Word. And all the, that list that I went through just a little while ago. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit, full with full conviction. And then, you know, here's another thing. He says that again at the end. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us. You ought to walk to please God just as you're doing so, that you do so more and more to please God. This is how you are growing in Him and developing in Him. And, and you're, this is how you become holy. You become holy by being different. Not perfect. People will even tell you that. Oh, you think you're all holier than thou, don't you? You think you're holier than everybody else. Well, I'm trying. Really, I am. Thank you for noticing. Now, I want to be different. I do. Perfect? Never. That, that, that ship has sailed a long time ago. The moment I blurted out my first words, no, told my mom. And, uh, you know, after that, it was all downhill. I, I had sinned. And I was born in sin. How do you become holy? You get to the point where you recognize that you need a Savior, that Jesus Christ saved your life. And now because of what he's done, you're going to give him back your life. And you're going to live within those parameters. And Paul's going to go from this point forward in chapter 4. And this is what he does. He gives us theology. Then he gives us application. Doctrine and living. You, you get good doctrine, you get a good living. You get right doctrine, you get right living. 
And Paul's going to go into it. And some of it has to do with sexual immorality. He'll be talking to us about that. He'll talk to us about the understanding of the second coming of Christ and, and how that affects our life and how we need to anticipate it. This is why our hearts have got to be blameless and holy. And, and he, he's talking to us about how to prepare for this holiness and how to deal with it in our life. And, and it only happens, you can't expect the world to be different. They're common. You can't expect friends, even loved ones for that nature, for that matter. You can't even expect loved ones. If they're just like everyone else, they're like just like everyone else. All you can do is pray for them, continue to pray for them, ask God to intervene, because it's only, only He is going to be able to do that. And you keep focusing on that prayer, but you grow. You grow spiritually, and you continue to grow spiritually. And we, we have to remember that it was because what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us that we're able to stand even at this point. Even if there's just a few of us. But we're strong. We are strong, those of us that are here. Let me ask you to stand as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, thank you again for your love and uh, for the choosing of your people. Sometimes, Lord, we don't feel is that that's the case in our life, especially with all the turmoil and things that happen. And how it seems that the world is just uh, taking a turn and, and taking a turn against us as well. And I pray that today we come to understand as to why that is. Because the common world looks at the holy world and hates it, wants to change it, wants to make it just like them. And I pray that we can stand our ground in every situation at all times. Help us to stand our ground within those boundaries that you've given us and to move forward. Lord, I thank you for the word that you give us. And how Paul was able to just, just write it out and, and uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And how the revelation that you gave him is revelation that we need now. So we, we know that right doctrine will produce for us right living. So thank you for that. Thank you for all that you do, we pray in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.